0: Well, it's been a week since I've been here every week. Vacation, seems like a world away. For those of you who are not aware, who not may not be part of our church membership, but uh, we did have a death this past week in our church family, uh, Jason Ansley, and uh, the circumstances of the death make it even more difficult um, difficult, and that he took his own life, and Jason is uh, one of our Sunday school teachers as well as helped me teach the 201 Disciplines of Spiritual Growth, I may have taught some of you here in that class, uh, leaves behind Daniela and the little girl Isabel, and the memorial service will be later on this afternoon at 4 here. But I uh, want to share some passages, uh, word of God, that speak to my heart in this situation. I had uh, already studied and prepared for Genesis 18, as that is the next portion of our uh, study as we're going through Genesis. And I thought, well, maybe I should change. But I found that as I studied this passage and then hearing what has happened, um, the word of God ministered to my heart in Genesis 18. And so I just want to share with you some of these uh, things that I've learned from this passage uh, as well as as applicable to many other things. Um, if you remember, Genesis 18, I started it last time I was preaching, and it was a divine, intimate moment between Abraham and God and flesh with two angels just having a meal together. Last time we learned about spiritual intimacy with God and principles that come from that of of sitting in the place of obedience like Abraham was that invited spiritual intimacy as well as seeking the fellowship of of God as Abraham did as well as also just worshiping God and just displaying the greatness of God and how he served God in flesh and and how we can learn those lessons from, from that encounter Well, in Genesis 18, verse 16 through 33, it is the continuation of this meeting between God, two angels, and Abraham. And we're going to learn the implications of what it means to know God. Within this relationship, this dialogue, this intimate moment, two powerful truths come out that can shape you, and help you and direct you through your life. And I pray that these two truths would be as the two rails that the train of your life would run upon. The first truth was given as a question by God to Abraham. You remember God was giving reaffirmation to Abraham and Sarah that yes, they would have a child. It would be born out of Sarah. It would be Isaac. would be his name. She laughs. And so... God asked Abraham and Sarah via Abraham, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? In that question, God declares the greatness of God. It's the first truth. God is great. I wished, as I preached that last, knowing that Jason was here, I told everyone, underline that passage. Start. Know that God is great, that whatever you're dealing with, God can get you through it. I wished I could have taken that and injected it into his soul, into his brain. He started, he underlined it, I asked him. But you know what? There's only some things that God can do. And I come here praying all the more. Hear the Word of God. Open your heart, your eyes to the word of God. It is what you need. is what I need. And so the second truth comes in this next passage that we're going to look at. Whereas the first one came from a question by God to Abraham, the second truth comes from a question from Abraham to God. Concerning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the truth that comes behind it, that that is relayed in this question answer with Abraham and God, is that not just that God is great, but that God is good. God is good. If I could just make you believe those two things, I would. But I can't make you believe anything. All I can tell you is who God is based on the Word of God. I pray that God's Spirit would come into your heart. And that you would believe these two truths. You'll be tested on them for the rest of your life. And the test, God is looking to see, will you believe? Satan will say, no, these aren't true. Don't believe them. And the rest of your life will be about a battle on those two truths. And so, as we read this together, I want us to stand in honor of what this is, being the word of God. Verse 16 Through 33, Genesis chapter 18. And the man rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children, and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. To do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? For venture there be fifty righteous within the city, Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Per venture, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto them yet again and said, Per venture, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be 20 found there. And then he said, I will not destroy for 20's sake. And he said, oh, Let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. And as soon as he left, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You may be seated. Before I got married, I was in premarital classes with a with my pastor, and uh, he had us do an exercise in which we wrote down ten expectations of our spouse, and then ten expectations that we think our spouse will have of us. It's a good exercise to do. It's one I ask all those who meet with me for preparatory counseling to do. Very enlightening. Some things I just never thought of. Uh, For this day, I still kill the bugs in our house because that was an expectation of Julie. I'm the bug killer in our house. Uh, To call her if I'm gone overnight somewhere. Uh, These are things I just never thought about. Uh, And she made sure I knew. And so I do these things because we're in a a marriage. It's a a relationship. It's an intimate encounter. And there are expectations of that relationship. What I want to share with you are expectations or implications of knowing God. Here in this passage, God makes very clear. He knows Abraham. They are friends. Therefore, there are some things that Abraham does because he knows God, and so we're going to look at this lesson and apply it to our life and to our heart. As we read, we find first of all that verse sixteen: the 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 dinner is over. You remember Abraham put out a huge feast, had a, a baby calf, beautiful calf, made uh, prepared about a hundred pounds or one hundred fifty pounds of veal. Uh, found that about th- a bunch of flour. Milk, curds, and all this that they're eating. So now the feast is over with. And so the three men, one of whom is God, pre-incarnate, coming in a fleshly form, uh, is getting up to leave. And so we see verse 16 that Abraham is, is attached to him. He's, he's walking with them, sending them on the way, getting the last bits of the encounter with the Lord. In verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him. Here you have the declaration of God. I know him. Let me ask you, can God say that about you? Can God say about you, that one is my friend? It's one thing for us to say that we know God, but it's quite another thing for God to say that he knows us. That he will claim us. I'll claim a lot of folks that I know. Yeah, I know Billy Graham. Yeah, you know, I know these folks. But does Billy Graham know me? That's the question. And so here I want to ask you, does God know you? And so because of this knowledge of Abraham that God has, he opens up the plans. He says, because you're my friend, I want to reveal some things to you. And then we go on in verse 19. He says, well, I've known him, and therefore, there are some actions that you're to do because I know you. Second you know, Chronicles 20, verse 7, talks about this relationship to Abraham and God. It says, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham Your friend forever. How about that? He is a friend of God forever. Isaiah 41, 8. But you Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. God is speaking in that, pa- in that ca- passage in Isaiah 41.8. God declares Abraham our friend. But listen, I want to share with you that the, the, the door of being a friend of God is not closed. It did not close with Abraham's life. In fact, when Jesus came and died on the cross, it opened up a whole new realm of relating with the Lord. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. He's speaking to his disciples, in that case, and the disciples who would be coming uh, through the disciples' witness. That we can be friends of God. In that same passage, John 15, he says that the key to that is is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ he likens it to a vine and a branch he being the vine we are the branches in relationship with Jesus Christ we are relating to God and therefore bring fruit or we bring glory to God in that relationship so John 14:21 tells us how do you know when you're a friend well John 14 says this he who has my commandments and keeps them It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In all these passages that are read that talk about the friend of God, it's interesting that there is a uh, relationship of opening up God's plans and revealing himself to those who are his friends. We see it right here uh, in Abraham's uh, case as well. So the good news is you can be a friend of God done in a relationship with Jesus Christ in total dependence on Him, lifting Him up as your Lord and Savior and obeying Him as your King. There is a dependence totally on Him to bring you into a friendship status with God. So, now that you're friends with God, if that is something indeed you've done, you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, what does that mean? Well, notice for Abraham what it meant for him. He says, I have known Him in order... Why does he know him? In order that he may command his children and his household after him. Command them what? That they may keep the way of the Lord. That is an internal desire to follow after the Lord, to order their life in the Lord's direction. Why does he know him? To teach his household how to follow Jesus Christ. How to follow God. Internally. And then, why do we do that? To do righteousness and justice. There is to be an external ex- exhibition of the inward life of following after the Lord. And it is this. Righteousness and justice. It is to impact our lifestyle. And that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, let me, that phrase is right there. That the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Let's... Just kind of cut and paste it with me. All right, just kind of see that little section. And let's compare it to something that he said just prior to this. In verse 18. God said, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Divine certainty. It is as if it's already happened. But then you go to 19. Oh, and Abraham, make sure you're obedient so that all these things can come to pass. How does that work? Isn't that interesting? In verse 18, God's certainty. These things are going to happen. It is is He will be a blessing to the nations. Verse 19, okay, make sure you teach your children so that all these things that I've said can happen. See, God does work, but he also works through your obedience. Your obedience does matter. It does matter before God. But God knows the end of our life, the end of the results, and He can say with the divine certainty, these things are going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we just sit back and say, okay, God, let's watch it happen. No, God has brought upon us obedience that's to be done. Now, in this case, it's obedience regarding to our family. But it's not just his family, but it's to His household and those who would come after Him. Listen, what, what, just to summarize this, is the, is, here's the point. Okay, Abraham, you know God, you know me then make disciples for me and start with your home. Start with your home. What's the implication of knowing God? To know God means that we are to make disciples for God. And the starting point is those who are closest to you. Those who are closest to you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your parents, whether it's your children, if you have no children, then you make people close to you. You open up your life so that you can have folks who are as to you as children, and that you will raise them up and teach them about Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, pray for them, you instruct them, you exemplify Christ to them, and if need be, you discipline them. That's it. What's Christian parenting? It is someone who will pray for someone else. It will be someone who instructs them in the ways of following Jesus Christ. It will be someone who exemplify Christ to them. And it will be someone who will discipline them. That's it. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not necessarily complicated. Those are the simple steps. Pray for them, instruct them, and exemplify Christ to them, and discipline them. And so, if you know God... You make disciples for God. You know, there are some who say, well, I just, I'm not into organized religion. It's just me and Jesus, and we have a wonderful time. And they, they talk about having great prayer times and having maybe walks in the woods or various things where, where they feel at one with God. And they have great mystical experiences, emotional experiences. But you know, when I read the Bible... What i found is that when you have an encounter with God, it's not just for your own goosebumps. It is to make a difference in the world around you. It is to be in community with others and impact them with the ways of the Lord. That is part of what church is about. Not just for us who are disciples, but for those who are not yet disciples don't even know it yet. We teach them, and we exemplify Christ to them, and we pray for them. If you have the authority, you discipline them, but most of us don't. But that is what we do. To know God means to make disciples for God. Now notice, as we keep on reading verse 20, And the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they've done altogether according to the outcry against me that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Here, he is is giving the bomb to Abraham. He said, this is what's going to happen right here. First, there's an outcry. These are perhaps victims who suffer injustice or grief over circumstances of oppression. And they're crying out, God hears their cries. He says, it's very great. It's because their sin is very grave. What exactly is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, it's one if you wanted to say one sin, it is in rebellion against God. It is the same of the Tower of Babel, and others, words, of pride, of exalting themselves before God. But it manifests, us, manifests itself in various expressions. But we do know what some of them are. Ezekiel chapter 16 tells us what some of them are. In verse 49 and verse 50 it says this. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. They had fullness of food. They had abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. We'll read later on in chapter 19 and chapter 20 about the homosexuality that was taking place the sexual sins. That was a part of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and is given to us in that word of abomination. That word is given in Ezekiel 16. It's defined in Ezekiel 16 verse 22 and referring to sexual sins. Yes, sexual sins were a part of the haughtiness against God and expressing themselves and, and rebelling against God's designs of sexuality. But it was not the only thing. Notice what it said at the beginning. Pride, fullness of food, and the abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. A pride plus abundance plus laziness equaled indifference to those who were hurting. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes folks who travel internationally... Well, understand and see, America has been blessed in so many ways, physically in the resources that we have. I remember I'll never forget flying over uh the southern part of Africa and seeing how dry everything was. Everything was brown. And I was like, Yeah, you yeah, know, I never seen anything like this. Everything that I'm used to is green, and, and you'd see little circles of green where it was irrigated. And I thought, just flying over and you see the differences and lands. Why? Has America been blessed in the way that it has? And as I read through scriptures, it tells me over and over that the main reason that one person is blessed and another person is so that the one person who is blessed will share with others. And Sodom and Gomorrah was feasting upon the pleasures and the materials and the riches that they were accumulating. And they were lazy and they were prideful and they were saying, look how great we are. And they cared very little about the poor and needy. One of the things that I'm uh, I'm just so thankful that some of the folks in our church have have taken upon the food pantry. This is just one simple way of trying to be a blessing to those who are poor and needy. That's something you can be a part of uh, in the care ministry. Some of you are doing the mills on wheels to bring blessings to others. This should be a part of what we do. That was the problem of Sodom and Gomorrah. 2 Peter chapter 6 our chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 said turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemning them to destruction making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked Second Peter chapter 2 tells us that these things that we're about to see in chapter 19 and 20 were done as an example. Jude, verse 7, says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So yes, there was a sexual immorality component uh, that is made evident in the next two chapters. But notice verse 21. He says, I will go down now. Does that mean... God wasn't aware of these things, and now he's having to check these out for himself. How how does that, you know, are we having to tell God stuff that he doesn't know? Listen, what this language is not to communicate that God is limited in his all-knowing and his all-ever-present attributes. But what this language is doing is letting us know that God is about to intervene in a unique way. That, that language, I will go down now, we see it repeated uh, a couple more passages. We've seen it already in Genesis chapter 11, in the Tower of Babel. He used that phrase, I will go down now. We'll see it later on in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, in talking about the oppression of the Egyptians uh, against the Hebrews and saying, I will go down now. In all those cases, he intervened in a unique, powerful way as true here in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it is a way of him saying, of, of his intervention in a unique manner and then verse 22 after letting this bomb go the men turned away from there and went towards sodom and abraham still stood before the lord abraham came near and said would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked suppose there were 50 righteous within the city would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it far be it from you to do such a thing as this Slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now let's just think for a second. Abraham is aware of what's taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not too far away from him. In fact, we get a hint of it when he was dealing with the king of Sodom. And the king was trying to reward him for saving their their city. And Abraham said, no, I don't want any of your riches. I don't want it to be said that the king of Sodom made me rich. I want that glory to be given to God, not to you, king of Sodom. We get a hint that Abraham was well aware of the type of character of Sodom and the king of Sodom. It was well known. This was a big uh, major center in that region. And so it would have been well known. Don't go to Sodom. That is the place where people are missing you go there and you never hear from them again and there is no justice there people are raped people are killed bad things happen in sodom and gomorrah and it's a city filled with sexual immorality what might our attitudes be over something like that i remember some folks were expressing when new orleans was hit with uh, the hurricane thinking well good all the gambling places and the occult practices, they need to be wiped out anyway. The only problem was, they weren't. The churches were in other places. Sometimes we, we look at judgments and we think, well, good. These things need to be wiped out anyway. Notice Abraham's reaction. That is not Abraham's reaction. Abraham is praying for the city. He's saying, God, if there's just 50, 50 righteous people, will you save the entire city For those fifty, and he takes it all the way down to ten. Listen, to go to know God means to reflect God's heart to sinners. To know God means to reflect God's heart toward sinners. Abraham is a friend of God. Notice how he is reaction, how he is reacting to this. Ezekiel chapter thirty-three, verse eleven, is very instructive in this manner. It says in this verse. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? There is not one soul that faces the punishment of God that God relishes that fact. He is holy, and as such, there must be condemnation of sin. But he is also one who does not wish to see... You are anyone else to go to that fate, including those of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham reflects that. He reflects that, and he starts praying for this city. Let me just speak personal here for a little bit. When there is a brother who is a sinner, one of the reactions may be anger. I'm going to tell you that committing suicide Is wrong. It is a sin. It is not something that God. Commands us to do. We are not in charge of our life. We are not to take the blood. Of any man. As we are all in the image of God. But let me warn you. Do not approach someone. In anger. It may be natural for us to be angry. About Jason. Anger toward Jason. Toward God, toward the doctors. It's kind of a thing of grief. But let me just give you this word. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, If any man is overtaken in a trespass, let he who is spiritual restore such one in gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Here's the question that is in my heart and probably in any person's heart that knows Jason. If it could happen to him could it happen to me could i commit suicide and the answer simply is yes you need to know that an in your heart is the capability of any sin and we do not know what it would be like in the depths that he was in mentally emotionally i am capable you're capable of committing suicide. You just need to know that. You need to understand that. Can a believer commit suicide and still be a believer? Let me just state that there is nothing unique, special, peculiar about the last moments of your life that would nullify a lifetime of evidence of following after Christ. Okay? If that was not true, what would we do with those who go see now as they die? Or Alzheimer's? There's nothing unique or peculiar about the last stages to nullify all that they have gone through and the evidence of a regenerated life. Let me ask you, what do you think? Well, you know how can that be? You didn't ask God to forgive you of your sins. It, you just died. You, you just sinned and died. Well, you know that could happen to me as well. I could lie, contrary to what John Boozer might have said. That's easily done. I could be in a fit of rage, lash out at you, lash out at my wife, and my family, and and dart out and get hit by a car. So where am I at? Let me just state something that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all my sins were in the future when he died on the cross. I live past, present, and future. But when Jesus saw my heart, saw my life, he knew all the sins that I have committed, will, am committing, and will commit. And he said, God forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he died and, and split, uh, shared his blood, spilled his blood, it took care of all of my Sense, past, present, and future. So you ask, well, where does confession fit in? Right, what, 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 what's the point of confession in all of this? Let me just state something. First John chapter two verse one says this: that If verse one two, if I sin, if I sin, I have an advocate before God the Father who is Jesus Christ, my Lord. What does that mean? If I sin, sometimes I sin I don't know it. You've done that too. You didn't know you were sinning, but you were sinning. It became clear to you later on as you read the word of God or as as the Holy Spirit convicted you. So, imagine with me that I'm sinning. I don't even know it. Even still, I have an advocate. I have someone who represents me, who is Jesus Christ himself, and he's there before God the Father. And he's saying, God the Father, you see, Jared, he is a lying is exalting his own self before you. He doesn't even know it. But God, the Father, you know that I, the God, the Son, have died and shed my blood, my eternal blood for his sins. Lay them on my account. And he is continually before the God, the Father as my advocate. So why confess if that's the case? We confess so that our fellowship can be restored with God the Father. Yes, our relationship still is intact. I am still his son. But I have not, no longer do I enjoy the benefits of the eternal life as far as experiential in my life. I confess so that I can be a better son. A better daughter, so that we can walk with the Lord in sweet harmony. That as long as I'm exalting this before the Lord, God is cutting off some of the joy of walking with Him. To say that, well, suicide is something that uh, God cannot forgive is a hangover of the Catholic tradition, it is an insufficient view of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, says that Jesus was saying, Every sin I will forgive, God will forgive, save the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's a whole lot of sin that God says he'll forgive. Matthew 12, verse 31. understand that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is something that we can experience. But when you bow before God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for me and rose again. I take it as a gift. I no longer work for it because that's the problem is I've been working for myself all this time. God, forgive me. God does. He does. And He opens up a door where you can be a friend. With him. That being said, as you become a friend, reflect God's heart towards sinners, as Abraham does. But as we keep on reading, it's interesting how Abraham's asking here. We keep on. He says, "Well, you know, okay, fifty God will save." Verse twenty-seven. He he starts kind of this reverse auction. It's it's amazing to see. Abraham, I can't believe you're asking these things. But he's doing it with reverence, considering who God is and who he is. And you read, you think, well, is Abraham changing God's mind? Is he praying and he's changing God's mind about these things? No. He's not changing God's mind. As he is praying, he actually exhibits and demonstrates God's mind. It's a fascinating to watch, and that's part of, part of what prayer does, is that it exhibits and demonstrates God's mind toward things. And we learn about God's mercy, uh, God's power, God's holiness as we pray. Prayer is, is part of our relationship with the Lord. And if we know God, to know God means that we make intercession for others. To know God means that we make disciples for God. To know God means that we reflect the heart of God toward others. To know God means that we intercede to, or for others to God. There is not a selfish idea about this prayer. He is praying for other people. He says, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, 10. Suppose there's only 10 righteous people. Will you save an entire Wicked city for ten people. And God says, yes, I don't want to see them destroyed. I must preserve righteousness. I must judge sin. But I don't have to do it yet. If there are ten people, if there are ten people, yes, I will save the city with the, with the hope, with the idea that the ten people can proclaim to the cities and that the city would repent. Why ten? I don't know. <laughs> it's very possibly Abraham knows that Lot's there. It could very possibly be that he's thinking, well, you know, if I have ten people, that ought to protect Lot and his family. I mean, you got his wife. You've got two unmarried daughters. You have uh, at least two uh, married daughters and their sons, uh, their brother, uh, their husbands, as well as a possible a son. It it could very well be that you know that should be it. Ten, after all, Abraham, uh, his whole household is circumcised in chapter 17. His his uh, the males, the servants, the sons, uh, everybody. They're all circumcised and say, yeah, I understand. This is something we carry to our household, to our family. and thinking maybe Lot's doing the same thing. He had expectations that perhaps maybe this will take care of it. The problem, though, was that Abraham's expectations were greater than reality. <laughs> you need to learn that. I need to learn that. We have expectations of other people. We have expectations about life, about God. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Look around. Look around. Find someone. Look around. Turn your head. If you look at me, you're not looking around. All right. Everybody here looks pretty nice. You know, we we all look the same. We look like we got our act together. After all, we're in church. Does that mean something? Listen. If it means anything, it means we don't have it together. All right. We need to be here. But understand something. When you're here every single Sunday, there's someone with a broken heart sitting around you. And our expectations will think well, everybody's great, everybody's fine, we're all singing. But someone may be singing through tears in their heart. Some persons singing are not singing because they, they, it's not because they sing bad, it's just they don't have it in their heart to sing. Our expectations don't always meet reality. None of us would have guessed about Jason. I wish I could tell you, well, if you just do these five disciplines in your life, you will avoid what Jason went through. You know, uh, Jason, I don't have any doubts that he was a believer. He shared his testimony with me, I have it written down. We talked, we went visiting together I care. He teaches a science class here. He was the main teacher for our Disciplines for Spiritual Growth class, our 201 class. Some of you went through it and had him. He knew the disciplines for growth. I can't tell you. If you do these main things, that you're going to avoid it. You see, anything apart from God is wrong. It's just trusting in God. When it's all said and done, I ask myself, God... Give me grace and it's all on you. I know I can commit suicide. This is not beyond me as any other sin is. But God, protect me. Help me. Even if emotionally, even if mentally, I'm broken down and I forget everything in my memory. Lord, still steer my spirit my soul to you there are two main truths i pray that i'll never forget god is great and god is good carry them and let them carry you you'll be tested in these things listen abraham his expectations were off so in verse 33 Lord went his way. As soon as he finished speaking with Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. Meanwhile, the angels are there with Lot. Things go bad. The Bible says later on in another chapter 2 that Abraham was looking off in the distance and sees the smoke rise. What did Abraham know and didn't know? Last thing he said, God said, If there are ten righteous people, I will spare the city. He looks out another day... Another morning and sees the smoke rising from Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities around. What does he think? Oh God, were there not ten? Were they not ten righteous people? What of Lot, my nephew, his family? Are they all gone? But one thing that I know from this passage that Abraham could say. Though my family is dead... God is great and God is good because I have prayed and I've seen that God is merciful and that God is righteous. And though I may not understand how these cities may go and be wiped out like that, God has assured through his word he is righteous, he is good, he is merciful, and he is great. But what he didn't know, maybe until sometime later, the Bible never tells when he found out. Is that God did save Lot. Let me just share something. Abraham's expectations were greater than reality. But God's grace was greater than his expectations. God's grace was greater than his expectations. He didn't dare ask. God, could you just save Lot and his family? Could you you pull them out by their hands? Can you drag them? Pull them out? He didn't ask that. He He wouldn't dare ask that. But that's what God did. God said, you know, I can't spare the city because there's not ten righteous ones. Not even Lot's in family. The only ones that were saved ultimately was him, his two daughters. There's some questions about those daughters too, based on what they do. But he saves Lot. His wife looked back and turned into salt, but drugged them out by their hands. You say, well, what about Jason? I'm going to say God is great. He's in control. He could have intervened. He did not. But you know, Mary and Martha asked for Lazarus to be raised uh, to be healed before he died. And Jesus did not. But he loved him. And he entered into that situation of which he created and cried with them. I'm going to say that God's going to weep with us. And he says that this death was given for the glory of God. And we say, well, Jason's death is given for the glory of God. You say, well, Lazarus didn't kill himself. No, but I'm sure he did some other sins. And these things are not beyond God's grace. And you say, well, okay, but Lazarus was risen from the dead. So far, Jason has not been. Well, what's worse? (laughs) Being in heaven? The presence of God. What do you believe about heaven? Is it a place of presence of God? Is it a place of joy? Is it a place of love? Is it a place apart from sin and the very presence of sin and all the corruption and loneliness and, and sickness of thereof? Is that worse? To remain in heaven? Or have Lazarus come back and say, okay, Lazarus, you tasted death once, taste it again, feel the loneliness, feel the hunger feel the sickness of this world, and knowing that, become a greater object of attack by Pharisees and high priests, what's worse? But he brought Lazarus back to show the greatness of the power of God. Jason remains in heaven to show the preciousness of Christ over this earth, over this life. I just want to invite you to know God. God invites you to know Him. You can't do it as you have sin reigning in your life and your heart. That must be asked for forgiveness. To receive the gift of eternal life. But when you know God, those of you who know Him, I invite you, make disciples for Him. Start with your family. Start with those close to you. I invite you to have God's heart towards sinners. I invite you to intercede and pray for others. A practical note. We have care every Thursday night. Let me tell you what you do in care. You come here and you pray for people. You visit people. You call people. You write them. It matters that you take that care card out and you write on there what's going on in your heart. It matters what you write about someone else and what's going on in their life. It's not a tradition. It's part of the heart of what we do. It matters if you come on a Thursday night. We're asking for folks to do one commitment, one Thursday night a month. We'll even feed you supper for those of you who have to come straight from work. It matters that you come and that you write someone that hasn't been here or is going through a hard, hard time. It matters that you sit there and you pray for them, though you do not know them, you will never meet them. It matters that you intercede for them. It matters that you go by their house and try to help them to be a follower of Jesus Christ and make disciples for the Lord. We have folks that come here. They, some of you are sitting here and you don't know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And you're not getting it here and, and you need someone to sit down and talk to you and explain to you. It matters if you come and be a part of care. You've got a little form in your bulletin. We're going to ask as we re- receive those a little bit, volunteer, commit to be a part of this. It matters what you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is a guide to me, is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. It reveals yourself to me. Lord, I don't know where I would be if I did not know or believe that you are great and that you are good. Or despair would be the top of it. Lord, I pray that you would lead every person here to trust in you, to believe in you as their Lord and King, that if they believe that you are great, that they would act like you are great by following you with all of their heart, loving you more than spouse or children, because you're greater than them. Lord, I pray that you put in everyone's heart that you are good, That though we are tested and tried in these things and the circumstances of life, Lord, because we live in a fallen world, that we would come back by faith to that same truth. Lord, we wish we could get out of a place where there are new suicides and murders and, and diseases and sicknesses. But Lord, these things must be because we've chosen a world where these things exist. But though they must be, may we walk with you and walk in life in the middle of it. We pray this in your name. Amen.